Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone, uh, welcome back. We've got our three contestants here, and we're looking at the final questions worth all the marbles here. All right, your clue was podcasts. Not sure if that narrows it down for you. And here's the question. This mental health podcast begins with a little skit, but the only person who finds it funny is the host. 15 seconds. Good luck. All right, Janice, we're coming to you first. Solidly in the lead, 13,000, a great day for you. You said the Joe Rogan experience. Oh, sorry, that's incorrect. And it's going to cost you what? $10,000. Janice, that's a that's a tough one. Steve, I've got the same question to you. Your total on the day, $8,000, and you answered. IDK, I don't listen to podcasts. They're lame. Well, Steve, you're on the right track there, let me tell you. But not the answer we were looking for, unfortunately, and it's going to cost you not a thing. Good call, Steve. Steve now in the lead, going on to our final contestant, Jim. Jim, you're in last place with $5,000. Let's see what you came up with. You answered, life's a wreck. Well, Jim, you got it right. And how much are we adding to your daily total? Another $5,000. Jim, you're today's winner. Like the loser who hosts the podcast, which starts right now. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to Life's a Rack. I'm your host, Kyle Moore. My name, coincidentally, also Kyle Moore. I'm just slightly the cooler version. Why did you have to jump in so quick? We literally just... We just yeah, that's why people are here for me. Off. You know, just keep going. Okay, well, you threw me off my tempo. I've got a tempo. Your tempo. You know, and I've got a tempo. flow that I've got to, you know, I get oh into. Oh, my So you kind of you mess it up. going. Get over yourself. Okay, fine. I'll... That's 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 valid. That's in play. Uh, where were we? Where were we? Where the were we? intro, right? Yes, uh, guys. Shout out to Alex Valenti for the inspo behind this week's podcast intro. Give her a follow on Instagram at AlexKV, uh, and that's Alex with a K, so it's A L E K 
S-K-V. Uh, and if you have an idea for an intro, all you got to do is follow the Life's Rec Instagram page at Life's Rec Podcast and answer the question box on the Instagram story, which I'll probably be posting the week of the podcast. And if you have any ideas, throw them in there. Uh, Alex, I love your feed. I love your vibe. You're doing some really cool stuff. And thank you for continuing to support the podcast. Really appreciate you. So shout out to Alex for this week's podcast intro inspiration. You know, I'm glad you aren't doing that stupid DM thing anymore. Yeah, well, you live and you learn. You know, you adapt new methods. It's all about the journey. You know, you see what works, see what doesn't. Uh, you know, it's, it's trial and error. You could uh, you could learn a thing or two there. It's a little lesson for you today. Uh, and I mean, I kind of I kind of still am. I, I feel like this is more fun. You know, it challenges me and I get to do something fun for the people supporting the, the podcast and the brand. Um, you just ran out of ideas. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because when I think of brand, you know, I think of lifestyle immediately. And that's something that I'm trying to do with Life's a Wreck as we go forward is turn it into a lifestyle brand, something that you can incorporate into every aspect of your life to make your life a little bit better uh, when you're going through kind of those those deep dark places. If I can and, if I can hop in here real quickly, um, I think of bland because it rhymes. You know, bland a brand <laughs> like you, like you're bland. <laughs> okay, well that you know that makes sense though because I'm more the visionary big thinker type. The visionary, and, yeah, you know, visionary, visionary sure. And Bro. you're kind of more like the you just show up for for this kind of stuff, up, you know. And for this kind whenever of I need to do anything important, oh. you just kind of pop up oh buddy trust me i am i'm always kicking around okay like i like i was saying you know the way that a lifestyle can be your personal brand i I think is really cool and when you want to look into a brand that stands for relentless effort and motivation resilience and an understanding of the value of your tough days i've never been able to find someone whose personal brand and who as a person reflects all of those qualities quite as much as today's guest, the incredible Ralph de Quebec. A little backstory on Ralph, he joined the United States Marine Corps at 19. During his third combat deployment, he would be critically injured from an IED blast and would receive a purple heart for his actions in combat. During his recovery, which we talk about in length during the podcast, he would go through the highs and lows of this, but he would discover eventually the sport of para-ice hockey, or as most of you know, it's sledge hockey, and he would go on to win a gold medal at the 2018 Paralympic Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea. The guy was a Marine who had an, uh, an unspeakable injury in Afghanistan overseas, came back, went through the rehab process, had to reevaluate his life, and won a gold medal in sledge hockey. Ralph is now the captain for the Colorado Warrior Avalanche and a co-founder of We Are All One Story. He is actually the brother of the guest on the last podcast, Jose Lugo, uh, and the two work closely to travel the U.S. sharing the stories of, of everyday incredible people um, because both him and Jose understand that every story and every person has value. And, you know, on the side, he's also training for the 2022 Paralympic Games in Beijing, China. He's an absolutely incredible man. This is an incredible story. One of one of my favorite interviews that I've done on this podcast. I've never felt such an emotional connection to somebody's story. Hearing them talk, the the power that he talks with, I certainly hope shines through while you guys are listening to this interview because it's absolutely incredible. It really is hard to introduce somebody like this. As somebody who's who is truly like larger than life, and I really think that that shines through in the way that he talks and the way that he presents his story. Uh, Ralph's an incredible guy, and, and without my my further ramblings, um, you know, Ralph, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? Me right now, generally, um, I'm in a good place. 
Um, I'd really have nothing to complain about. Um, even with the COVID stuff going on right now, I'm, I'm still able to train on the ice. I'm still able to ride my bike and get out and get some fresh air. And uh, my day to day is pretty much the same. Like I am the same person I was before COVID happened. I'm, I'm a recluse. Like I stay in my house and I make sure that I stay focused and I do my things that I need to get done for the day. So uh, mentally, um, I feel pretty good. Physically feel good. And, you know, it, it's actually made me reach out to family more often now um, than before COVID. You know, I, you kind of take that for granted. But now that I know that I can't just go out whenever I want, I make sure that I'm talking to my mom, my dad, my uh, my nieces and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So. Yeah. And for the, those of uh, my listeners who, who don't know, uh, you're a Paralympian. Yep. And a sled hockey. Good stuff, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, how you got to this point, obviously not, not as great, uh, right. but being able to, to accomplish what you've accomplished and we're going to get into it more is, is super incredible. Um, so, you know, not only being a Paralympian, but just being an incredible individual in general, you also served overseas uh, in Afghanistan. And while you were over there, obviously had just an unspeakable accident um, and something that I, I can't, I can't fathom what went through your head during that time. And I'd love to hear in your words, what that day looked like when you had your accident, uh, what was going through your head and, and what your thoughts were when everything went down and, and just kind of what the mentality was like. I want to know what your psyche was like on that day. If you don't mind bringing us through that. You know, um, I had already had been in the Marine Corps for about 10 years uh, when my accident happened. Um, I would call it an injury, not an accident. Um, when my injury happened and, you know, it was, uh, I had been in a similar situation hundreds of times. You know, I tell the people all the time, you know, uh, a day at the office is dangerous for me, but I got used to that. You know what I mean? We did a lot of good training and, and the mindset that we had to have in order to go do our job, which was to disarm bombs. You know, you have to be clear, level-headed. You know, you can't even kill. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. And so, like I said, you know, we were on a patrol. It was day four of a four-day op, and we are about to head out. Um, we had been taking contact from a building um, for the first three days, almost, you know, 10 hours a day. We were just constantly fighting. And so on our last day out, we were like, hey, you want to go hit this house because this is where we've been. This is their the Taliban stronghold. We want to go hit that house and destroy it so the Marines that come and take our place don't have it as hard. And so uh, we set out to step out on a patrol at, at 2 o'clock in the morning. And um, as we're walking down, you know, I had, I want to say, a good at least 20 Afghan soldiers that were working with us. And... Uh, six special force operators and a uh, uh, Navy Sark, which is like a doctor, and then me and my teammate, Brandon. Um, so was, American element was pretty small, but the, the, the Afghan element was large. And so as we're heading out, I'm telling you, it's only like maybe 200, 250 yards at the max. You can literally see the building. You can see the contact happening and stuff like that. Um, and so as we're heading out, you know, we're spaced out in a linear formation. It's called a ranger file. And so we're separated by, you know, 10 feet in between each person. And so if you can imagine that having like 25 feet, you only have to have so many guys before you get to the end, right? And so um, as we're stepping out, I shit you not, like maybe 10 minutes after stepping off, we got the call of the radio and said, hey, um, we found an IED up there. And so, like I said, I had been in the situation multiple times or whatever. I told the SF guys that I was with, I was like, hey, you guys chill here. I'm going to take Brandon. We're going to go walk up and, and go do our thing. You know what I mean? 
And so uh, the guy was probably about 100 meters, if not more, in front of me. And so I'm making my trek down. I have my teammate with me. I eventually put my teammate to the side. And I say, hey, this is a safe area. Stay here. And I'm going to continue on. And we're still communicating as I'm, as I'm coming down. But as I get down to what I would think was the, the midway point, again, we're at, it's nighttime. And so we're operating under FEGs. And so you don't have a great depth perception with night vision goggles. So I would say about 100 meters away from them, um, I just had like this, this spidey sense go off. You know, as an EOD tech, um, we're taught to like uh, listen to that sixth sense. You know what I mean? And you, I could just feel it in my gut. Um, you know, the hairs on my neck stood up. And then, so I was like, you know what, before I go any further, like there's a bomb right here, you know, and the Taliban, they bury their things. So it's subsurface. So you could take a glance over dirt and you might not notice it. But, you know, as an EOD tech, I had developed, um, you know, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even know what to call it. Like I, a procedure or whatnot, that this is what I did. And you saw like, as I'm looking through, I'm looking through everything. And I'm like, man, this is just fishy here. So I get on the radio and say, hey, I'm going to stop right here and do my searches. So immediately I searched that the outside area, didn't find anything. And then I started funneling in. I grabbed all kinds of tools to do my job and then eventually um, came up empty handed. But still that that was still going off in my head. Right. So then I get down on my hands and knees and I start literally sweeping the dirt away from the ground slowly but surely being very methodical meticulous and just you know very detail oriented and i sweep this path that's probably about you know three feet wide or whatnot just enough to where i can fit in it so i know that area is clear right hmm. and uh, i'm just i i probably work for like 15 minutes and i'm like uh man like i'm stuck right now i know there's something here um but I can't find it. And by this time I've been sitting here for so long, you know, you never want to sit in the same, same place for so long. Mm. And so I, I was in my mind, I was thinking, okay, just get on the radio, tell your guys that it's dangerous around here to come back the same way they came so that we would know we would still be safe. Right. Um, and before I can even finish the thought, you know, like I look up and I see a guy walking towards me. Right. And so I get up on one knee, get up on one knee and I go out to put my hand out and I tell him to stop. Like, that's what I want to do. And I, so I, I'm like, stop. But before I could finish the P, he had triggered the device. Wow. And like, I still, I don't know if you can see, I still have frag in my hand from that. Yeah. From the moment I did like that. Um, and so immediately triggers the device, I get thrown in the air. And at that moment, I'm, th I'm flying through the air at what I would call mock. Oh my God. Like I'm flying like fast. Yeah. And all of a sudden my mo momentum is stopped. And that's cause I hit a brick wall. I hit the wall that was right there in the building. So I hit this wall, boom, bounce off and then land in the hole that was created by the explosion. Oh my God. And so I'm sitting in a hole and, um, you know, confused a little, I not concussed. Like I didn't lose any consciousness. I, I live through the whole thing, um, try to remain as calm as possible. Um, but I remember trying to kick out as you would, like, you know, if, if you're laying on your back and you're trying to move with your feet, how you kick away so you can yeah. scoot back. I remember trying to do that and I couldn't. Like, I had nothing to support me to do that. And immediately then I started screaming, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. 
And then about, I would say what felt like maybe 10 seconds later, I was getting pulled out of the shot hole like a rag doll and my guys are dragging me to, to work on me. And so um, during this time, you know, like the adrenaline's flowing, there's a lot of questions going on in my head, um, but my guys are already working on me. You know what I mean? Like he's stopping the bleeding. I have tourniquets on, they're giving, they're pushing meds to me. I'm engaging in conversation, trying to like be calm. And, you know, I was cracking jokes with them. Like I was literally, you know, just trying to make jokes so that everybody would feel comfortable around the situation. And that's just something that I learned from, you know, being in situations like that before is like the last thing you want to do is have everyone panic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for about five minutes, you know, my guys are doing their thing. And now my breathing is going to be coming very labored. And so it's like, I like, I'm struggling to breathe. And now I can like feel the, you know, my vision coming in and out. And so at that point I was like, yo, I'm not doing too hot right now. I'm in a lot more trouble than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And so then I made the decision. I said, Ralph, I was like, the only thing you need to do is make it to the helicopter. That's all you have to do. If you can make it to the helicopter, those people will take care of you. And so, you know, my guys are working on me and I'm like, um, eventually they do all the, the stuff that they can. And so they're just trying to comfort me. And I'm like, guys, I can't fucking breathe. I mm. can't breathe. Like put me on my side. Like it's, it's just too hard. And so they put me on my side and I just remember like hunching down and being like, fuck, I can't breathe. Like yeah. <laughs> just really, really labored. And all I can hear in the distance though. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like at that moment, you know, like everything's flashing before my eyes. You know, I thought about my family. I thought about my dog. I thought about the things that I didn't do in life. Yeah. And so um, I was like, <sighs> I was like, God, like, I'm not done. Like, you got to do this for me. Like, I will do whatever it takes for you to make me go back home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the bird finally lands. You know, my guys pick me up, they throw me on the bird. And um, as soon as I like look up, I see um, the Air Force PJ, which is like a a special operations doctor. And so like I look up and I see him and then immediately just blackout because I did what I had said I was going to do. Right. And then so, um, you know, I get flown away um, and then I get flown away and then I, uh, to Camp Bastion, which is in Afghanistan. And from Camp Bastion, I went to Germany, Launchstuhl, the hospital there. And I had developed pneumonia because while I was not breathing, I was still drinking water. Probably something that I shouldn't have done, but it was just something I was like, guys, give me something to drink. And so I literally did it to myself. And so what ended up happening is I went into a coma and, uh, and I was down for about almost 30 days or so. Like I woke up a month later after my explosion, you know. And uh, when I woke up, I was sitting at Walter Reed Military, the National Military Medical Center in Bethesda. You know, it's pretty famous right now because that's where Trump went to yeah. be treated, right? Yeah. And so that's exactly where I went. You know, as um, the doctors that were at Walter Reed, you know, they had been in the fight um, already for almost 10 years. So they had been in these kind of situations and they were the best. They were the cream of the crop. If there was anybody I wanted to be working on me, it was the doctors at Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just remember waking up in my hospital bed covered in bandages and, and surrounded by family and friends and thinking like, oh, shit, what now? 
Yeah. You know, I had spent 10 years in the Marine Corps, um, achieved the rank of gun- gunnery sergeant, which is E7, you know, the, the highest you can go. It's master gunnery sergeant or uh, sergeant major, which is E9. So only two more ranks before I was, you know, topped off. Yeah. But I had made a good progression. And so um, I love the lifestyle. I love the camaraderie. I love the guys' mentality, um, the mindset. Um making something bigger than myself and then surrounding myself with people that had the same idea and same concept of team and mission accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting in a hospital bed and that's all gone. Yeah. So, you know, you can think, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, when I deployed on 2000 in 2012, I already had did a deployment in 2008 to Iraq, 2010 to Afghanistan and 2012, you know, I was with my teammate JP who's a fresh EOD tech. And, um, and we were supposed to have the time of our life. Like literally you're going to combat, but you're everything you've ever done in your life up to, to this point, And then with training and all that, it's the ultimate test. You go into combat and you get to go do something that you've been training your whole life, something that you love to do. And so, um, you know, a month before I was blown up, I lost JP, you know what I mean? And so I lost him in my hands. Um, and that was probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult things for me, even with my own injuries to recover from, because as a leader and, um, as someone that's in charge of someone else's life, when that person doesn't come home to their family, you automatically feel like you're a failure. You know what I mean? And so, um, after that had happened, you know, I had like two, three weeks to decompress from that. And kind of get you know my bearing back and they asked me you know like do you want to go back to work and i said absolutely and and i took the stance of that had it been me i know my guys would want to go out and do the same thing and i would say hey guys go go fight that fight still mm-hmm. and so um that's the kind of guys that i was working with and i it just you know it was we were family you know what i mean like when you you could be in the street and call someone brother but we were actually brothers yeah. Um, and so that was super difficult for me to handle, you know, especially uh, recovering immediately after injury, you know, identity crisis, um, not knowing exactly what the future entailed, um, you know, now suffering a traumatic injury, which, by the way, I lost both, leg, both legs above the knee. Yep. Uh, I lost a pink, uh, uh, half of my pinky and I lost half of my thumb. And then I had, you know, serrations all up and down my arms. And, you know, obviously I had some head trauma. And, um, and there was just a lot to take in, <clears throat> but luckily, at, luckily I had the people I had around me. Cause even though I went through a rough spot, had I been alone, like it's, I don't know where I would have ended up, you know what I mean? And so, um, during that time for recovery, you know, I battled depression. Um, I battled, you know, suicidal thoughts, like just the thought of, you know, killing myself. Yeah is extreme you know what i mean and just going through the process and thinking what my mother would think thinking what you know my family would think and you know having to like bear down and be like ralph that's selfish that's selfish that's selfish like you can't put your mom through that pain like i know you're going through this but you can't do that to your mom yeah and so and um, your mom is somebody who is very important to you as well who correct it sounds it sounds like was um from hearing your story uh it sounds like she was a she was a just crucial part in in who you are as a person. So. Oh, definitely a prominent figure in my life. You know, I learned a lot from my mother and, um, and like I said, it was something I couldn't put her through. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, then I got addicted to opiates. You know, I'm getting I'm getting uh, painkillers for pain, but eventually I don't have the pain, but I have the internal pain. So I'm continuing yeah. to take these pills. And, you know, it wasn't until like maybe I'd say, you know, nine months in, a year in, you know, um, I'm like cruising down the hospital halls and like from the outside, everything looks good. Like Ralph is is going to physical therapy he's learning how to walk he's trying sports uh you think he's doing well but on the inside i was struggling and that's the problem is so often you don't you don't see the inside stuff yeah you don't and so and then for me being a marine you know it was like when people approached me to ask me how i was like i put up that that barrier and i gave them the i'm okay you see me doing this like you, you should know that i'm fine get out of my business kind of thing. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until you, like I said, you know, nine months, a year down the road when I'm rolling down the hallways, having conversations with people and then the next day running into the same person and not even knowing who that person was, Mm. you know, literally telling, having a conversation about injuries or, you know, how to overcome something. And the next day I run into them and I'm like blank stare just super in in that living in your own head kind of state. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew then that something I had to change something, you know, every day that I looked in the mirror, I was like, Ralph, this isn't you. I had a good sense of who I was and who I wanted to be. And what I was doing at that point, wasn't it Mm -hmm. at all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's when I found sled hockey, you know what I mean? And that's kind of like, kind of like what turned me around really. Yeah. Well, I, I really want to talk really like about this, this identity crisis that you went through, because obviously if you joined the Marines, you know, an active lifestyle was something that you grew up with was a huge part of who you were. What was the emotions like when you first realized that you had lost your legs, that you had lost a part of your pinky, a part of your thumb? What was going through your mind? I mean, I, I just really want to know what those first few thoughts were like when that realization finally kind of just hit. You know, for me, um, it was just the unknown, you know, and that's, you know, someone that's used to being in control, especially if you're used to being in control. Like I said, like I ganged a rank that was, you know, up there and you're, you're, you're a leader and you have this presence of you that's even killed. So everybody looks to you when the shit goes down. And so, um, now I'm in the unknown and, and I don't know how to approach it. You know what I mean? And so, you know, luckily for me, it wasn't the first time that I had seen these kinds of injuries before. Mm. You know, I had, I had teammates oh. and friends that had lost their legs before me. And, you know, again, luckily for me, those friends came and visited me when I was in the hospital. And they said, hey, you know, if you couldn't handle it, it wouldn't have happened to you. And so, I mean, and the guy that told me that, Mark Zambone, a really good friend of mine, graduated EOD school with him. He lost his legs in 2010. 2012, I lose my legs, but he already had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. He had, he, he had set the bar, you know what I mean? And so yeah. that, that kind of gave me, you know, hope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I had seen some studs, some guys with no legs that were walking like they didn't have any care in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I had that, but even, even though I had that, you know, something to strive for, like there was still something inside that was just like, it's still unknown. And so that's really what, what, what brought me down and brought me to um, the darkest times of my life. Yeah. Yeah. What, what set you 
on that better path? What what was the catalyst that made you, I mean, who you are now? Honestly, it was a lot of the people that are around me. Like I didn't do it alone. Right. And so like I felt I had to be successful to pay back everyone that put the time in to me. Mm. And so that was a pretty big burden. You know, that's a heavy backpack. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. And so I literally put myself against the wall. And I've always told people that if my back's against the wall, I'm going to put my money on me. Mm. You know what I mean? Because i that's just the mentality you have to have. I mean, 10 years in the Marine Corps, I'd probably put my money on you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, like, and that's pretty much what I had to do. And, you know, like I tell people all the time, you know, I lost um, 18 friends in combat. Oh, my God. And, um, and I took the stance of whatever I do right now is for the guys that can't do it anymore. Like, yeah, I can't walk, but I still have the option of walking. You mm. know what I mean? Um, I can't be with my family 24-7 right now, but I will be able to be back with my family. Like, I literally have brothers that would never be able to do that again. Yeah. Who the fuck am I? to feel sorry for myself when these guys can't make that, that trip back home. Yeah. So that was something that really drip drove, uh, like gave me the drive and, you know, kind of made me just put my head down and, and get to the work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You have to get to the work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so that was, you know, something that propelled me to get me through the, those times. I, I can't imagine losing 18 friends. I can't imagine losing one friend. And the fact that, you know, you not only went to combat and, and had this injury, but also lost so many people around you, like, man, I, it, it honestly, it's one of those things that, you know, coming on this mental health podcast, it, it kind of boggles my mind because, you know, I suffer from anxiety and OCD that when you hear about these stories, you know, my day to day kind of sucks once in a while, whatever you get in your own head, you have some really bad thoughts. Um, but like you hear that and I, and I just, I, I'm so curious and in like into knowing you know how you how you handle that how you go through losing these people and just and just and still being okay or and or not not being okay because i can imagine that you're never okay from that but just keep continuing to just live your life you know the the pain comes from like the family and the wives of the guys right that's where my pain lies like yeah i lost my brothers in combat, but we all know that faith when we sign up, right? And so the fact that they were doing something that they loved gives me some kind of like, like I wouldn't say closure, but like, you know, it's not like something happened that we didn't know could happen. Mm-hmm. However, the pain of the kids, the mothers, the fathers, the wives, you know, the husbands, all that kind of stuff, that's what was that's what kind of gave me that driving force is I already knew I was surrounded by good guys I tell God people all the time like I was literally walking amongst giants like I had so many good examples of leadership so many good examples of brotherhood so many good examples of, of camaraderie um, so many examples of selflessness that it was hard not to be able mm. to do those kinds of things yeah. you know what I mean like if you weren't acting as such, then you were, you were the outcast. Like, you know, everybody says, well, that guy is, is different. He does this. Well, if he, I was in a situation where if I didn't do that, I was different. Hmm. So that carried me through too. You know what I mean? Like I, like I say, I was walking amongst giants and, and, um, I just, I just felt 
to this day, like, I feel like I owe everything to those guys. Like I have nothing to complain about, mm. you know what I mean? And, and, um, and it, I went through some hard stuff to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. What, what did that hard stuff look like? You know, the fact of like losing my legs, um, that was, that was a struggle in of itself, you know, losing a teammate in my hands was a struggle in itself, you know, but as a person, I put up this barrier and I closed off a lot of people that cared about me because I was just so closed minded and I was like so stubborn. And so like, I can figure this out. I'm, I'm strong enough to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, you know, I had a girlfriend who I eventually married, but I eventually closed her off. You know what I mean? And so that resulted in a divorce. Um, so that was a struggle to come through. Um, but you know, like to bring it back, you know, um, sled hockey really put me in a place where I felt like myself again, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, you know, was, and I describe it as, um, you know, being on a team of, you know, 17 guys that have the same goal, you know, win gold medals, mm-hmm. uh, and have the same mentality that they're going to do whatever it takes to be successful, whatever. If it's uncomfortable, if I don't like it, but I know those are the keys to success, you've got to get to the work. Yeah. And so I surrounded, I was surrounded by guys that were like that. And like, again, like I'm looking around the locker room, I'm like, man, these guys are busting their ass. They're doing all the little things that, that make champions. And I was like, I'm at home. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, this is the mentality that I need. I need to be challenged and I need to have the desire to want to get better every single day. Mm-hmm. And the only way that makes that easy for me is when I surround myself with people that are like-minded. Yeah. Totally. Where, when, did you, when did you find Sledge or when did Sledge Hockey find you might be the better question. You know, it was about a year after my uh, injury. So around June of 2013, and that's a funny story in itself because, you know, as I'm going through my, my, my little rough spot, you know, I'm in the gym and I'm, I'm swimming, I'm playing wheelchair rugby, um, skiing, um, all those wow. other sports, adaptive sports, but nothing really grabbed me. Nothing yeah. did. Like I was still like over there doing opiates on the off time. And so, you know, I had a friend named Kevin who came through and uh, he was like, hey, man, you should come out and play hockey. And I looked him dead in his eyes. I was like, Kevin, I'm from L.A. We don't do that kind of shit. I was literally just so to ask never played hockey before. <laughs> never played hockey. Didn't even really watch it. Didn't know the rules. And so I told him like that straight up, like, no. The next day I saw Kevin, he asked me again. I was like, nah, man. The next day, me yeah. alone. The next day, he's <laughs> now he's harassing my wife and my sister who was there with me during my recovery. Kevin, and I swear for not a feeling. He just did, you know what I mean? And so like he literally harassed my 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 wife and, and my sister and and me for a week before my wife said damn it just go play so we can at least get this guy off the back our backs totally you know what i mean and i was like fine i'll go uh you know and i get to the rig for the first time and i'm like looking in i see these guys flying around on sleds and like they're going through equipment and they're giving me shit and i played football growing up so i'm i'm familiar with you know hockey like the elbow pads, shoulder right, yeah. pads, all that kind of stuff. So it's nothing foreign to me. But when I look on the ice, I was like, that's something I've never done before. Like I've maybe skated once or twice and I was going on dates. Wow. So nothing competitive, nothing, <laughs> you know, wreck, nothing like that. I was literally get on the ice to try to like, you know, impress some girls and, and that was it. Yeah. Um, 
Jeez, it sounds like a Canadian uh, date. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, right? Um, and so, you know, just being in that atmosphere and looking in, like, it made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was something that was going to be new, something that was going to challenge me, and something that, you know, the guys on the ice really love to do. And you can see it. Like, these guys were having fun. And so um, I remember my first time getting on the ice thinking that I was a little fish in a shark tank. Um, not thinking that this was ever going to happen, you yeah. know what I mean? And so, um, but at the end of that practice, like, I was like, man, that was hard. Mm. I was like, you know, the wheel started spinning. Like, this is something that's going to challenge me. And so I went to the next practice the following week. So I had some time off and I got back out there and I saw a little bit of development. Uh, but the contact and, you know, just being around the guys just drove me to go want to go back. Right. And then eventually I started going back on my own. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's just the personality that I have. Like, I'm like, okay, I've got to learn how to do this. I got to learn how to do this. But not only do I got to learn it, I got to do well at it. And so I started taking a lot of time um, that I would be playing video games and stuff like that. And then just go to the rink and work with things. And I had, um, this guy, Mike Doyle, that was an older gentleman that had played hockey like maybe 20 years ago that would literally drive from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. Wow. On, on Thursdays to just come skate with me for an hour. And he was he wasn't the he might have been one of the, the better hockey players when he played. But by then, you know, he was a little older, but he still understood the game. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was willing to come out and teach me that I was going to be a sponge and I was going to soak everything in. He had to teach me. And so eventually, you know, like I got, you know, pretty comfortable and I, and I, I, I started to like what we were doing. And then I remember playing our first club game against Philadelphia and meeting somebody into the boards. And I mean, in my mind, I thought it was the biggest hit I laid. I watched the video now, but I'm like, in my mind at that moment, that was the biggest hit that I've ever played right. in my life. Yeah. You know, you've seen the explosion happen. And, um, uh, and I'm just on the ice thinking like, man, I got to get called for a penalty for that. Yeah. And sure enough, the play still is going. The puck squirts into the corner and I'm like looking around. I'm grabbing my sticks. You're like, holy like, shit, like, this is good. I'm like, yeah, like exactly. And that's exactly what my thoughts are. I was like, holy shit, this is a sport for me mm. because that's what drew me into me was just that physical contact. Yeah. And ever since then, like it's, uh, it's hockey's been on my mind. I wouldn't say 24-7, but a large portion but it's of there. the time. Yeah. yeah. How, how long was it, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, stepping on the ice for like the first, second time, and then, you know, winning a gold medal? What was the uh, time time gap between those two things? Uh, five, five, five years, a little under oh, five years. That's crazy. Uh, but, you know, I, I attribute that to mindset. Um, like I said, I was in a job that you had to be pretty meticulous. You had to think outside the box and and you had to learn how to actually work function as a team Mm. and so when I started playing hockey like it's that's it like it's a puzzle the whole game is a puzzle Mm -hmm. you got other people that you got to play with and you have to communicate and you have to be confident and you kind of have to know what you're doing in order to be successful and that's you know that's what made me feel at home you know what I mean like I was just with other guys that were willing to do the same thing totally um and I uh, love the sport. Like I actually would now wish that I played growing up. Totally, man. For sure. Well, I mean, it might've been a little <laughs> bit harder in LA. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More like, uh, you know, swimming pools versus ice rinks. Yeah. What was the feeling like of actually going and, and how did you get to the Olympics and, or the Paralympics? And what was that, 
what was that feeling like to just to know that the work that you would put in all those hours, everything that you would come back from and that you had battled with and overcome that that had paid off and that you were, you were at the peak of this thing that you loved. You know, I made the decision and actually in 2014, when um, uh, the men's team won gold against Russia in Sochi. Mm-hmm. I remember this vividly because I was actually celebrating my anniversary and I was sitting on a beach um, in, in Maryland and we're watching TV. And when I'm watching these guys on national television, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Sipping a beer with my wife and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, man, and then they win. And I remember looking over to her and being like, I need to be a part of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I need that in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that was a spark. That's what I needed to see at the time. And um, eventually I had a a surgery that that, um, they extended my femur four inches. And so that put me out of the season for a little while, right? Hmm. It took me out of tryouts. Um, But my mindset there was a camp that was right before tryouts and my mindset was to go to the camp and do as well as I could and just try to make, get, get as much visibility as I can before the tryout. You know what I mean? And so we had this three day camp and at the end, the head coach of the national team was actually running it. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls me aside and he like asked me my story and he, he's like, Hey, I want to see you at tryouts. And I tell him, I'm like, hey, coach, I won't be able to make it. Like, I have to have a surgery done. Mm. And so, um, you know, I eventually go through with the surgery. The boys go off to, to tryouts. And then a uh, little while after tryouts, I get this call from the men's development team. And they're like, hey, we want you to come play for the men's development team. In my mind, I'm thinking, wow. like, what the, what the fuck? Like, yeah. how, how, is this, how is this happening? And so, you know, to have the men's national team coach identify me as such, you know, only – want to even work harder you know what I mean like he gave he gave me that opportunity to put the opportunity on my lap and there was no way I was going to fumble that mm-hmm. you know what I mean so yeah I had to put in the hours and so I was in the men's development for three team uh three years and I tried out for the men's wow. team the men's national team three times and I didn't make it you know what I mean so back to the development team try out didn't make it back to the development team try out didn't make so you know in my mind I'm like you know, now I'm hitting my head against the wall, like thinking like, man, is this actually going to happen? I'm so close, you know, like, um, um, I was putting so much pressure on me. And again, like, I felt like every time I didn't make it, I was letting all the people down around me. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It's so much pressure. And I remember explaining that to my wife and she said, you know, you can't do that. And I was like, yeah. it's actually the only thing driving me right now. Right. You right. Know what I mean, it's the only thing that's keeping me in the game. And it's the hardest thing I'm doing to myself. Mm-hmm. And so my fourth and, and fourth year, the, the the year I told myself, I was like, look, Ralph, you have no control over this situation. You've done all the work. You've done everything you can up until this point. You have no control over who picks the team. And all you can control is, is your attitude and your effort. Now go do that on the, go do that on the rink. You know what I mean? And so I went in to my fourth trial with that mentality and, you know, a week later, I got a call from Dan Brennan, you know, the, the manager of the men's national team. And, and he's like, hey, Ralph, we want you to come play for us. And this was the year wow. leading up to the Paralympics. So I'll be a rookie going into the Paralympics. And so, um, you know, it was just 
you know, I want to say it was a, a, a weight lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. But now the weight just kind of got heavier now because right. now true, you true. have the visibility. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like now eyes are actually on you. True. And Did you so, have to appreciate that accomplishment? Like, was there that moment of like, Oh yeah. Oh, you know, he tells, yeah. He tells me, he says, you know, we want to pick you, pick you up for the men's national team. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you know, I literally told him that, like, I don't even really know this guy. And I'm like, I told him that. And I was like, look, I was like, this is one of the best decisions you're going to make for yourself and for me, nice. because I'm going to work my ass off for you. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, but, you know, leading up to the Paralympics, you know, we have 17 guys on our roster and, you know, throughout the process, they're like, we're only going to take 15 to Korea. Right. And so now you even got that pressure again. Like it just yep. came back, you know, now not only am I learning the systems and learning how to compete at a higher level and watching what these guys do at the top level, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to play. So, you know, like that, it's, it's, it, that, that was a pretty big struggle. It's one of the biggest things I struggled with during that whole lead up is, you know, like they said, Hey, you know, December 10th, we're going to figure out who we're taking to Korea or that uncertainty for that uncertainty was, yeah. you know, it was just a big, a big, big burden on my shoulders. And then eventually we get the call. I want to say like January 1st, it was like a new year's thing or whatnot. And they mm -hmm. announced the team and they announced that they were going to take 17 guys. And wow. so then, you know, it's like, you know, that burden was lifted off the shoulders. But then again, it was more like, okay, now it's time to, to get to work again. Like, yeah, you, there's no excuses at this point. Like, you got to get to work. Um, and then, you know, just making it to the Paralympic stage. And I just remember walking through the Olympic Village, uh, you know, being on the even the bus rides with the guys, um, the lead up to it, living in Chicago with my teammates and training, you know, every single day. And you know, just bonding with within that, you know, the whole lead up, everything was just, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. You know, yeah. some guys that have probably been in that, in that situation before probably, you know, are over it and are, you know, right. yeah. I was enjoying, yeah. I was enjoying everything. I was a rookie, you know what I mean? And I wasn't trying to enjoy it as much as possible. Uh, and so, you know, leading up to that stage, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, to yeah. cap it off, you know, actually competing on that stage and having fans in the stands, you know, um, you know, it was just, it was an incredible feeling, especially being able to compete against the other top teams in, in the world at that stage, yeah. you know, Canada, um, you know, was, is one of our tougher appoint, opponents and then just be able to be matched up with them for the gold medal game. You know, you, you can't script it any better. Right. Um, and so we actually had two players get in trouble um, right beforehand. And so, you know, they only roster 15. You have a, t a team of 17, but they only roster 15 to play. And so even leading up to the gold medal game, I'm like, am I going to be a healthy scratch or not? And that event takes place. And now it's like, oh, shit, everybody's got to play. Now all the pressure is on. Like, right. you, you know you're in the game. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to get the minutes. Um, and so, you know, just the fashion, you know, it was a battle the whole way through. You know, Canada goes up one and nothing. And then, you know, all the way up into the third period. And, you know, I remember looking up at the clock and there was like two and a half minutes left in the, in the, in the game. And I'm like, man, we got to do this now or it's not going to happen. Like you can mm -hmm. literally see, start to see like the time run down in slow motion. 
you know, not that the doubt had crept in or whatnot, because I never doubted that we weren't going to win. It was just like, oh, shit, like the time is really crunching now. Like it's yeah. time ever type of thing. And, you know, when Declan Farmer scored the the, the, the game tying goal with 37 seconds left on the, on the clock, like it was this, you know, the bench just erupted. You know what I mean? And it literally inflated us and deflated the, the Canadians. And you can literally see that the, the deflation in them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going into the locker room and, you know, telling, you know, just being around the guys and being like, hey, this game is ours. We just got to stay mentally in the game, physically in the game and, and never give up. And, you know, when Declan hit the, the OT winner, you know, coming off the bench and just flying into center ice and being able to just jump on top of the boys and, you know, just, wow. you, you can't, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting chills right now. Dude, me too. Um, <laughs> you know, just, uh, it was just an amazing feeling. It was like the culmination point. I just remember looking at the sky and, and being like, you know, thank you boys. Yeah. Um, just for driving me. Totally. Um, and, you know, being able to experience the national anthem play, you know, like I've had these, these, these visions beforehand where like, you know, the American flags being raised and the national anthems being played and, you know, like tears are just coming down my eyes because, you know, at that moment I was like going to be thinking about my boys. Right. But then what it turned to is now, I'm, you know, hand in hand with, with, my new brothers wow. were singing the national anthem at the top of our lungs, you know, wearing gold medals and watching the American flag get raised over the Canadian and South Korean flags. And it was just like, like, man, like we did it. These yeah. boys did it. And we had all this help, but mm-hmm. it, it was us, you know, like now I'm surrounded with, you know, you know, that full circle kind of feeling. Yeah. 15, you know, 15 more brothers, you know what I mean? Like, and it was just, it was very, it it filled my cup. Wow. It really, it really did. Yeah. I was thinking, man, your your mindset, how you speak, your story, you are uh, an absolutely incredible individual. And, and it, honestly, it is just like hearing your story is is just a pleasure for me. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for for coming on and doing all that kind yeah. of stuff because that's yeah. that's the coolest thing, man. Like, and to hear to hear your wins is the coolest thing. Cause I think so often we focus a lot on when, when people have terrible injuries or when, when catastrophic things happen, you lose people in your life. We, we really focus on the losses, but the fact that you took that mentality that brought you to the Marines, that took you over to Afghanistan, that, you know, and then you came home and, and healed from an injury and, and won a gold medal at the Paralympics is, is just the coolest thing, dude. Like that's, it's really, it's really great. Yeah. You know, and I, I tell everybody um, that asks me, like, what's the key to adversity to overcome adversity? Because obviously I went through a lot of adversity and I tell them practice. Mm. It's practice. You have to go through adverse situations. You can't avoid them. You have to go through them and figure them out. Like, how are you going to handle them? Yeah. And each time you go through something, a uh, catastrophic event, even if it's not so big, losing your job, you know what I mean? Like that still can hurt you. You know what I mean? I lost my legs, but you don't have to lose your legs to feel the same kind of pain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, what are you going to do to get yourself out of that situation? And, and, you know, for me, it was, you know, what I was doing wasn't the answer. Mm. So like I tell people, like, I don't have the answers. I can't give you the answers. I can't give you the blueprint, but what I can tell you is the things that I did do that didn't work for me. And what I did do that worked for me. 
Mm. You know what I mean? And, you know, hiding my feelings and, you know, being addicted to opiates and, you know, feeling sorry for myself. That was not me. Like I couldn't look myself in the mirror. Yeah. So it was out there being a go-getter, wanting to get better every day. Um, and just honestly trying to be the best person I could be for everyone that's around me. And, and that's when I started being able to look myself in the mirror again. For somebody in that that space um, of negativity, of, of just going through a real shitty time, what's a first step that you would tell them to take that would help them possibly start that journey that obviously you went on? You know, for me, it's to set a goal, hmm. no matter how big or, or how small, you know what I mean? Like, I'm dying on the X and I set the goal to make it to the helicopter. It's that simple for me. You right. know what I mean? Like, I yeah. set, like, this is what you need to do in order to live up do that set a goal you know what i mean set a goal and so what i found is that if i'm focused on all my mishaps more mishaps happen right when i start focusing on goals and i even like i say like even i i read a book you know it's called make your bed you know and you literally start your day off with a task completed as simple as make your bed every time i roll by to go to the bathroom my bed is made and so it's like something that you can take pride in right and build on you know what I mean? So I, I have goals that are set out daily, you know, hockey goals. Um, and, you know, right now it's to play hockey, to watch hockey, and to then to do something else that helps me be better at hockey. Mm-hmm. And then those three things, once those three things are completed through the day, everything else is Ralph time. What, it, what, it, what is that? It's uh, mental decompression. It's getting into my thoughts and, and you know, just kind of navigating life in general approaching things that make me uncomfortable and just trying to work around them or, you know, trying to see how I can navigate through that as well. And that time has become more important to me right now than hockey has. And, and, and obviously I've earned that right Mm -hmm. because I've been playing hockey for so for, for that amount of time that it's not something that I have to just keep my head down and grind away now. Yeah. And what I've learned is I've lifted my head up during the grind and now it makes it that much easier. Now I look and I can see exactly what's going on, what's happening. And then now that is a lot that's affording me the time to take away from hockey to actually, that's, that's why I say it's not 24 seven anymore. Right. It's literally this amount of time. And now, Hey, let's go read a book. Let's go take pictures. You know, I go camping. I do all these kinds of things because I need to decompress and I need to actually be in my thoughts and not avoid them. Yeah. And that's, that's not always an easy thing to do, but oh always regardless of the situation you're going through in my experience now hearing it from your experience going into your thoughts and really going into your head in a positive way because i know with with a lot of mental health stuff uh you can go into your head in a very negative way and you can kind of feel stuck in there but when you can go on health like in a with a healthy mindset and and evaluate why you're feeling a certain way or why you're stuck uh and really take the time to kind of self-critique in a way that that is beneficial to you massive huge absolutely absolutely and you know sometimes when you look at your life in the first person you like you said you just want to pick out all the the negative things yeah and it wasn't until like I had that experience of like being able to look at myself in the third person that literally took took me from you know the negative to the positive like it you know going camping puts me in a perspective that I'm this small Hmm. compared to the rest of the world so whether i fail at something or succeed at something it's very small so not to be afraid of failure yep you know what i mean not to be afraid of failure and that's been one of the biggest keys that i've learned um 
uh, I would say, you know, after winning a gold medal, because even after I won a gold medal, I tell you, it was not all roses. Right. Because at that point in time, people wanted to hear my story, but they wanted to hear their version of it. Mm. You know what I mean? I was getting called to talk about Purple Hearts, to get talk, to talk about gold medals, but no one wanted to talk about the depression. No yeah. one wanted to talk about me growing up without my biological father and the trauma that caused, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so um, it wasn't until I started working with my brother, you know, he had the, the idea of we are all one story mm-hmm. that, you know, when he approached me with that, I remember having a conversation with him and, you know, he was like, Hey bro, you need to go out and do this podcast and, and go talk to these people. And so you can, they can hear your story. And I'm in my mind, I'm like telling him, I'm like, bro, I want to hear your story. You have an amazing story as well. Yeah. And you know, I remember when he, you know, full circle, when he comes back and he says, Hey bro, I have this idea that I want to interview people to hear their story. And I was at the moment he said that I was all in. I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. He was like, I want you to be the first person. And I'm like, okay. You know, at that point I was like, okay, I think I could do this. I've already told my story a little bit, but now I know that we're going to get into the nitty gritty of, of the story. Yeah. And I took the stance of, you know, who, who else better to tell their story in its full entirety with vulnerability and honesty and let people know that even though I, I met that carrot that I wanted to get, it still wasn't the answer for me that the actual value of my story was within me. Mm that's what changed my whole perspective. Cause like I said, head was down grinding, 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 grinding. And you know, when I started doing that, I took ownership of my story. Um, even though I didn't feel as a victim going through all my traumas, um, I, it, it, it literally took the victimhood out of it and made me take ownership of it because now it's out on a platform that's available to the world. Yeah. There's nothing I can do to change it. Right. So, that is the complete ownership of, of that is that, Hey, it's out there. I'm, I can't hide from this. I can't run from this. Totally. Anybody that comes and approaches me for this, like they're going to know my story yeah. in its entirety. I, and that was the beautiful part. I, I love that because that's, that's a great way of putting into words what I feel like I'm kind of done with my own podcast, but I haven't been able to say it as eloquently as that. Um, because it is one of those things that you spend so much time trying to, you know, doing the whole, it's fine act. I like to yeah, call it. Exactly. How are you doing? I'm fine. How's this going? That's no, fine. You know what I mean? And then eventually when you get to that point where you're like, I can't keep hiding from this anymore. I can't keep it right. ignoring this and pretending that it's not a thing. And then you put it out there into the world and you're like, you're like, I don't know who's going to find this, but anybody who wants to know anything about me, there you go. You, find it, yeah. you got it. And yeah. you know, it, it, it's super cool when, when people can identify with your hardships. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because not everybody's going to be able to relate to winning a gold medal. You know, not everybody's going to relate <laughs> to really getting a purple heart. Totally. You know? Yeah. But people are going to relate to, you know, going through depression and how you got through it, you know, drug addiction, how you got through it, what pulled you through all those kinds of, those kinds of the things are what I felt was the value of my story. Yeah. That's what I can give to people. You know what I mean? And it was, and it's been a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And, you know, with it happening, you know, me being the first story and now, um, you know, we're into October and, you know, we, we opened January, 2020. And so every week, you know, showcasing someone's story, there's a multitude, there's multiple stories on our platform now that, if someone doesn't pull something from my story, they can pull it from my brother's story. Right. They can pull it from 
from Bosky's story. They could pull it from all these different stories. And it's literally an encyclopedia of knowledge of people of what they went through and how they got through it or if they're still going through it. And, and to me, that's my story is just in there as anybody else's story. You know what I mean? And there's no more value to mine, no more value to someone else's. We're all equal. And that's the whole thing behind. We are all one story. And that's why I can speak on it freely and not because I'm a, I'm a quiet person myself. I'm very to myself. I don't like to speak about myself, but the reason I can do this now is because I know it's not about me. It's about everyone else and mm-hmm. what I can do to help. Cause I tell people that all the time, like I want to help as many people accomplish their dreams because I, I have done mine. I kind of, I I've done it. I've set a new dream and I want to bring as much people along. Right. And so, um, I felt like I had to share my story in its entirety so that people can understand that it wasn't all, you know, like roses. Like I did have to go through some difficult things and not only just what you can see when I walk by with my legs being gone, but all the other trauma that, that hurt me more than that, then hurt me more than losing my legs. I could definitely, I mean, from my perspective, this is the first time that we've, we've talked, um, you know, over, over zoom or anything like that. And I can definitely say that that the parts that I think are most impactful from your story, like you said, are the talking about the the down parts because it's it is so easy and and so many people want to just kind of brush those parts aside and say, "Hey, look at this guy who fought for our country, got a purple heart, won a gold medal, but it's like that's not all of who I am. those are three yeah. things. And, exactly. there's, and there's a million days or, you know, thousands and thousands of days that I've lived. And those were three di- separate days that happened that why should, why should that be the things that, that define me? Um, you know, the middle parts for, for me is definitely what I've, I've really gotten from this conversation. I know my listeners have as well uh, because it, yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's like life will throw, life will throw wrenches at everybody. Some people have bigger wrenches that get thrown at them. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But, uh, but it's kind of how you, you get back up and dust yourself off and, and keep yeah. moving. And that's, and that's the whole, the whole thing with the mindset too, is that you just have to keep moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like change is constant. And, and so what that entails, if you're not getting better, you're not staying the same, you're getting worse. Mm-hmm. True. And so when I got that into my mentality, I was like, Every day that I'm not doing something to get better, I'm actually take, getting it, taking a day and, and getting worse off. I was that that was the fire in my ass that I needed. You know what I mean? There's so mm-hmm. many things that created a fire for me that made it made it easier for me to make tougher decisions. Right. You know what I mean? And, and just listening to those things. You know, some you know some people so prideful. You know, I literally had to tell myself. The same way I told myself when leading up the trials is, Ralph, you have no control. It's counterintuitive. You think that once you lose control, you have no control. But the moment you tell yourself you have no control, you have all the control. Hmm. And it's the hardest thing to get across to people because you're not, you, you don't know exactly how everything's going to play out. You don't. But you can control what you have inside of you. Right. And that's when you realize that, hey, you know, I'm in charge of this vessel. Right. Yep. And I'm in charge of where it goes. I can't control anything else. And this is what I'm going to need to do to get where I want to go. Focus on me and, and yeah, control the things that I actually do have control over and let the other things go. You know, so many times people worry about the things that they can't control. And that's literally what holds them down from doing what it is actually they want to do. 
Yeah, for you sure. Know, and that's focusing on the positives and not the negatives. Well, I can't do this because my dad wasn't with me. I don't know what it's like to be a father. Or I can't do this because I don't have legs. Or I can't do this. You know, I could say so many things that I can't do something. Yeah. But it's literally telling yourself, well, fuck, I can't do these things, but I can still do these other things and I can learn how to do them really well. Right. You know what I mean? And that's been, that's what I want people to know me as, is as Ralph de Quebec, you know, my mindset, not for winning a gold medal or a purple heart or whatever. It's like, Hey, this guy has the mindset that, you know, he is willing to put, make things bigger than himself. He's willing to put in the work and he's willing to be, play along with the team and, and make sure that the team is successful. And by team, my family's my team. My hockey team is my team. My friends are my team. And, and that's my circle. That's who I worry about everything else. I can't worry about what else is going on all over the place. I have to worry about what's going on with, within my circle. And, you know, it, it, like I said, my cup is full right now. And, and, uh, and it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely incredible, man. And I, I, I still can't thank you enough. Uh, I do want to ask you one more question. At the end of every interview, uh, at the end of every podcast that I do, I like to give out a challenge to my viewers, uh, to my listeners, um, something that they can implement into their everyday or something they can implement into their days or weeks or months, anything that they can include into their lives that can help them better their mindset or can help them through tough times. Uh, and I'm just curious with, with all the life experience that you've had and all the lessons that you've learned over the years, I'm curious what challenge you would put forth uh, to my listeners. Be cautious of who they surround themselves with. Mm. You know? It's a good one. Um, because like I say, in any situation that I've ever um, succeeded in, I've had a team with me. I've had a group of people where I've never done anything alone, you know, um, being in the Marines, always in a team, losing my legs. I had a team of, of nurses and therapists and doctors and, you know, my wife, they were constantly there to support me being mm -hmm. on a hockey team. I have teammates and coaches that are constantly there to support me. So I've surrounded myself with like-minded people that aren't afraid to hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing is accountability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once you lose accountability, you're off to the, you can do whatever you want. And whenever you can do whatever you want, you're going to do whatever you want. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, sometimes that's not always the best thing for us. True. And so I would, I would encourage you. Um, I would encourage your, your listeners to just surround themselves with people that share a common future and not a common past. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, we want to stay with the friends that we were with, but sometimes those friends aren't the ones that you want to be around to get with where you want to go. And so you have to introduce yourself into some new people that are going to challenge you, hold you accountable, and actually put you on the path that you need to be in order to achieve whatever it is that you wanted to achieve. That's great. How, how can people support your journey, uh, what you guys are doing with you and your brother? Um, how can people get involved with We Are All One Story? You know, just you can follow us um, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. It's at We Are All One Story. And, you know, follow us there. Even if you don't want to follow us, I urge you to go on to our platform and just, you know, finger through some of the, the videos. You know, I'm telling you, there's some gems in there. There are some actual gems in there that I've, I've even been listening. I get goosebumps because I'm like, man, that was just spoken in a way that I could have never described, you know, you know, talking about depression, not being able to identify with depression and having someone being able to just explain it in a way. And you're just like, I needed that in my yeah, life. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I pull something out of every single story. You know what I mean? And, and so there's little snippets and I'm telling you, there's little nuggets in everybody's story and there's nuggets in your story. 
Mm. You know what I mean? And so like, you just have to find those nuggets and, and you know, and you'll know that you should know that we all have value in, in our story, our personal stories. It's inherent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have it. Everyone has it. You just have to be able to find it. Man, uh, honestly, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time and, and uh, taking uh, taking an hour out of your day to uh, to come and sit down with me. This has just been an absolute pleasure. No, you know, I hope your your listeners can get something from this. And like I tell everybody that I, I get onto your podcast, it's not just, you know, our work, it's your guys' work. And and I just urge you to keep fighting the good fight because this, you know, I feel good when we do this. So I know that the more people that, that can, can do this and, you know, just open up, it's, that can change the world for sure. When I listen back to these episodes, you know, I, I pull pieces from it for, for Instagram and for quote content and that kind of stuff. And so I listen through and I jot down notes while I'm editing. Um, and, and most of the time, you know, I stop it you know, every 15, 20 minutes kind of thing. And I jot something down or every 10 minutes. And it's just kind of like a, a passing thought. But in Ralph's case, every, and I, and I swear it was like every few minutes I was jotting something down. You know, it didn't matter what he was talking about, the amount of gems that were in there, the things that he talked about, you know, he, he talked about relationships and how important they were to him and how much they were supporting factors. You know, he talked about those support systems, his mom, his brothers in the military, their families, his teammates in sledge hockey. Um, you know, he talked about how having those support systems can literally save your life. You know, he talks about his struggles with grief and losing brothers in combat. He talks about struggles with addiction and how internal suffering, when you keep it inside, can lead to external uh, consequences. You know, he talks about the power of hope, which is huge. He talks about the power of passion, of setting goals, of holding yourself accountable. Like literally everything this guy says is something that you can implement. I know we do a challenge at the end of, of every episode, but everything that, that Ralph said is something that you can take with you and implement into your own life and you'll live. These are all things that I'm going to take into my own life and go forward. Um, you know, after I, ta- after I talked to, to Ralph originally, I started making my bed every day. I, I had heard that a million times, you know, make your bed, make your bed, make your bed. And I, I just always thought it was uh, kind of like malarkey to put it nicely. It, I mean, yeah, kind of like I, I thought it was ridiculous. I was like, why would I make my bed? That doesn't make any sense. I don't care to make my bed. I started making my bed. I started scheduling out my days. I started setting short-term goals for myself. I've always had long-term goals, but I started setting short-term goals for myself. And it like it really has like turned a couple you know some some days that would have been bad or would have been kind of hectic they've turned into some productive really good days i i just can't thank ralph enough um you know for coming on and giving us all these gems and talking about you know so many areas of mental health Um, yeah i gotta say man i mean like you're a slouch but your guests have been lights out thanks man not really a compliment it's just kind of like i'm just i'm complimenting your guests i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take it as well though i'm just gonna you don't you don't please please uh guys i want to give a huge shout out to ralph for taking the time coming on the podcast make sure to go follow him on instagram at mr benjamin boom uh and check out at we are all one story to keep up with the work that he is doing in the world of mental health him and his brother uh and their incredible team Uh, i appreciate you guys so much you guys know how much you mean to me uh and just know that you can always reach me in social media on social media if you need anything uh, or if you have any questions or if you just want to continue this conversation sounds good to me Uh, and as I'm putting the final edits on this podcast you know I just can't help but think life's a wreck I'll see you guys in two weeks (laughs) 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 